Welcome to Fireside Chat. I'm Pastor Rick Brown, and I have my beautiful wife, Tammy, with me. Thanks for joining me, love. Thanks for going on another date with me. (laughs) She's so stinking cute. Uh, So we have a very special guest tonight, and we want to get right to it because she's... uh, from the entertainment industry, she has a voice. Her and her husband are incredible influencers. And so we want you to uh, fall in love with Landon Starbuck, as Tammy and I both have. And so, Landon, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, guys. And you guys are stinking cute. <laughs> I said she's stinking cute. <laughs> you guys are both so cute. Your love for each other is beautiful. I love it. <laughs> thank you for that. We're well, so excited that you're here with us again. Yes. Thank you. Happy to be here. We want to talk about uh, your work, Landon, with human trafficking. And just, first of all, as a uh, person from the entertainment industry, a wife, uh, a mother of three, how has your life's journey, because oftentimes when we launch into something, it's not, um, I mean, it can be things, the, the catalyst can be, uh, inspiration for empowerment or protection of people from the time we're, we're kids. You know, I, y- y- we think sometimes, I wish somebody would have stood up and protected me. I wish somebody would have went to bat for me. And uh, I think it's such a, first of all, it's such a tragedy what's going on in the world and has for the history of humanity, um, slavery, human trafficking, all those things. And so, uh, first of all, we would just love to hear what inspired you. And then secondly, we want to know what are the statistics? What's really going on out there? And you know so much better than us. So we're excited to hear what you have to say. Thank you. Um, Well, I got into this work um, because by being in the industry, I was exposed and saw uh, so many underlying um, behaviors and cultural attitudes and things happening um, with the normalization of pedophilia for this sexual quid pro quo system um, that the entertainment industry operates um, from. And I I knew that I couldn't be a part of it anymore. And I ultimately decided to leave the entertainment industry in Hollywood um, and become an independent artist. answering to no one and not being part of that system anymore. Uh, So having that experience um, and and wanting so, so badly to help some of those people and realizing that um, there at the time was really nothing I could do because when you normalize certain behaviors in society and you speak out against something that has been normalized, you know, you become a pariah essentially. So speaking up and saying, you know, for instance, I, I don't want to wear this for a video. I don't need, I don't want to take off my clothes. Um, you will have consequences. And, and I surely did. Um, so, you know, especially being a female in Hollywood, cause that is how the system operates. And I'm not saying, um, disclaimer that every single successful, um, female has, you know, been doing those things, but they certainly have participated in a system um, that does those things. So, uh, you know, a lot of times an actress will work with a known pedophile director um, like Brian Singer, who has directed the X-Men and um, Bohemian Rhapsody, which won a bunch of awards. So, you know, we're participating in a system or working with people that we know are exploiting children or exploiting women, Harvey Weinstein. Um, you know, there's just countless examples that we all know about. So 
I wanted to help. Um, and I realized as I started to dig into the world and my research of human trafficking, which I've been uh, researching deeply for five years, um, it ended up not being what I thought it was. Um, and if you think about human trafficking, like a, a tree, um, human trafficking, the term is, is sort of a, 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 a legal term to, um, from the 2020 or the 2000, um, act, the, um, trafficking act. So it's, it's really to explain what is happening within the sexual exploitation, right? The harboring, the transporting, that whole, um, act as, as you prosecute it legally, but what it, human trafficking actually is, it, 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 the trunk of it is sexual exploitation, um, and then you look at the roots of that tree and is the roots are uh, trauma. OK, so when I look at the trauma and I have my own trauma and I know, Tammy, you have an incredible testimony, testimony of your own trauma. Um, there's that that sense of connection to these victims um, and we're privileged to get that help, to get that therapy, um, to be safe and to have our, all of our physical needs met, our survival needs met, which is necessary before you even address the trauma. Um, and, and so many of these, these children and these women are not. Um, so that's really what inspired me to get involved in this work. Um, and the more I uncovered, uh, really what's behind this, this, in this space of anti-trafficking, um, advocacy is really being willing to not just make these rescues, but to deal with the restoration and the underpinnings in society, which drive the demand because um, human trafficking is actually pretty easy to solve. You stop the demand and there's no demand for it. So um, it's a, it's the third largest growing criminal enterprise next to drug trafficking and illegal weapon trafficking. Um, we have, we, we make, we produce and we distribute more pornography um, particularly uh, child exploitation material than anywhere else in the world. Um, so one in five children are going to be sexually solicited before they're 18. Um, so it's, it's an epidemic. It's not just a uh, conspiracy theory or a, um, you know, a fringe idea. This is something that our own uh, DOJ are, uh, is saying that this is connected. I mean, this is a problem within our, our, our system, our own CPS system. You know, you look at all these recent raids in Ohio and Atlanta, and, you know, between 60 and 80 percent of those kids came from our foster care system, mm. our child welfare and protection system. So it's a very big problem, um, and it's it's very complex and multifaceted. And you know, there's many different forms of human trafficking. But what I choose to focus on is the cultural uh, sexual exploitation of children and women. Uh, one of the things that I admire so much about you is that not only are you desiring to speak out and be a leader with your voice, but another thing, uh, you're taking your music and it's become a passion of yours where you're writing and you're singing and you're producing music and then you, you are taking the cells of that music and you are benefiting organizations that are fighting against sexual human trafficking. And what led you to that place of thinking, not only do I want to be a voice, but I also want to take the talent that God has given me and raise money so that I can actually go beyond just my voice, but financially help. How did that even come about? Um, I'm, man, God is very creative. He, he helped me figure this out because we talked a little bit on our last um, episode together about, you know, it, 
can't always happen at the same time, right? But it can all happen. And I was trying to figure out, like, I want to continue my music, but I don't want the pressure of, of having to make money and market myself and, and do social media because I don't like social media. Um, and I don't want to answer to a label or be told what to do or how to express myself. So how do I do this? And it came through to me. You're passionate about, you know, trauma, recovery for victims and advocacy and educating on this issue. And you love making music. So why don't you combine those two and find a way to make that part of your advocacy work and your messaging? Mm -hmm. And, you know, thank you, God. Why didn't I think of that? So that, that's basically how it, how it came to me. Um, and it's such a great feeling to know, you know, art is so powerful as a medium of influence. Um, and just being able to know that when people buy that, my music, every single cent goes to rescue and restoration to these reputable organizations. I work with Exodus cry and Exodus, um, to help these victims. Cause that's what they're, they're focused on. Um, and, and so I'm so excited to be able to be involved in that work. Do the organizations, uh, seek to rescue the sex trafficking, uh, that's going on? Are they trying to rescue the victims or what, can you give us a little backdrop about, you sure. know, what they do? Right. So, you know, there's so many great organizations out there um, and, you know, some do a really great job of marketing themselves. So we might have heard of some over others, um, but they all have, you know, different messages and different ways of, of tackling this issue. And what I have found and, and the organizations I've chosen to align myself with are organizations that are doing both the work of rescuing and restoration, because the problem is it's like rescuing a bunch of orphans. You know, if you don't have the means to help restore them, you're just collecting orphans. If you're not planning on being able to feed them, to house them, what are you doing? So you know, it's very important that the rescue piece is so important to this to this issue, um, especially with the, the rates of how many women and children will go back into the trafficking industry. So the, the time is so crucial once they're exited to give them that trauma-informed service, that care, that health care, having those survival needs met so they can even begin to address the trauma is so important because we can make all the rescues swoop in, have our, have our Navy SEALs go and get these kids, and it feels so good. It's something out of a heroic movie, but then the real work happens because if we don't do that real work, they go right back into the system. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really when I realized what a big piece that was. It's not the end, you know, rescuing the kids, they're rescued, hooray. You know, there's so much work that has to be done and we have to help, um, you know, with that restoration piece. Um, so that was something huge that I learned, uh, part of growing and learning. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Awesome. Well, I know that Tammy, as she was rescued from her own abuse story, um, then it took the healing and the restoration because you, when you're a, a trauma victim, uh, being traumatized, abused, taken advantage of, and all the distortion that happens emotionally, the distortion of reality, the distortion of others, all of those things is such a, um, that is the key component because you can rescue them. I, I have some friends in for, uh, in this one ministry, they went into the Sudan, which is basically like the wild, wild west of uh, uh, 
craziness and slavery. And they were just going on a mission. They were hiking through these mountains to get to this mission. And uh, they came across somebody and he has five people enslaved. They're in ropes. They're tied up. He's got them on a rope, a rope around their necks. And uh, he had, I mean, he, he couldn't let it. He, so he, he purchased them. He bought them. And the person, they're just a commodity to the, the guy that had them. And he's like, okay, here's the price. And he gave them the price. And, um, uh, but then you, well, you have, and maybe they were just captured. So maybe the trauma is not so extended, but for those who have been in the system, not like you said, what was it? 70 to 80% of foster kids and, mm-hmm. and kids that are in, you already have emotional trauma, right? Because of right. The, the disruption of family relationships. And mm-hmm. um, if the roots are trauma of the tree and then mm-hmm. the sexual exploitation and then where, right. where they end up, uh, man, what a journey. Because we know even if there's this young uh, um, child that gets rescued, oftentimes it's through those development years that really trains even their mechanisms of, of how they, they respond to things. And so, so how does the rescues work? Because I don't, I, do we, I don't think we send Navy SEALs after them, but uh, it sounds good. We may, I don't know. I, we, we send special ops in many cases on global, okay. um, you know, rescues. Okay. Uh, there's actually a lot of different ways. I mean, there's, um, you know, uh, grassroots ground campaigns where there's, um, you know, prostitution work where, you know, and, and I know that, you know, about that, Tammy and are involved with some of that outreach, which is so incredible mm-hmm. um, because every aspect of this has to be addressed. It's, it's not a, I, I work in anti-trafficking. I'm doing it all. I mean, we all have to have our, our specialty focus because right. it's all so needed. Yeah. Um, and so that outreach, you know, to, to uh, people working in prostitution, um, that is so important. Um, you know, one thing I was going to mention with, you know, demand, right, is um, one of the ways we have demand is, is how we all participate in a culture that normalizes sexual exploitation, so when we think of, oh, I want to be, um, I want to help this trafficking issue. I want to go volunteer or donate or whatever. I mean, that's great because we, we definitely need to be fundraising. But there's some other ways that we have to, to do work. Um, and that, that requires um, our own uh, participation. You know, something like Netflix, supporting a, a Netflix that has um, this movie, Cuties, which sexualizes children. Um, and we're normalizing the exploitation. And I want to emphasize this because you'll have people defending it because they're so culturally indoctrinated to accept this as normal. Um, and it's really up to us to stand up and say, you know, it doesn't matter what the context was. It doesn't matter that they were trying to, you know, expose the sexuality, uh, sexual exploitation within these, you know, impoverished girls or whatever the message is. It doesn't matter. Just like it doesn't matter if Uncle Larry abused your children and he took them to Disneyland before. Context doesn't matter. What matters is that they were sexually exploited and there's no justification necessary. Um, so breaking these, uh, these cultural norms, um, we have a, a uh, very active, um, sorry, popped in here. Uh, we have a very active um, uh, pro-sex work movement going on, even in a political context. We have um, people running right now for a president who want to uh, normalize sex work and, and, and legitimize the sexual explo- exploitation of women and children. 
Um, and so this is really dangerous because what that means now for victims of human trafficking and the child children of, uh, that are victims of the sexual exploitation industry is it makes them virtually impossible to rec recognize. And mm -hmm. there's no way to regulate um, a a illegal business, right? We can't even regulate it as a, as a legal activity. We can't even round up everybody doing the illegal activity. And we have to look no further than the model in Amsterdam with the red light district that got so out of control. And 70% of, of women working in prostitution are a victim of rape and violence. So that means that 70% of them have been raped repeatedly, uh, attacked, brutalized repeatedly. And we're trying to normalize saying this is okay. This is the form of sexual empowerment. And, you know, this is liberating somehow. I mean, that's, that's a lie. And it's very dangerous to, um, to seduce our children into to thinking that this is a, a meaningful uh, career. Um, you know, nobody ha can make a career out of exploiting themselves. And that's exactly what prostitution is. It's just paid sexual exploitation. You take the money away, and it's just sexual exploitation. Mm -hmm. yeah. We agree. So uh, let's break it down. Since it's a, such a huge problem, mm -hmm. let's break it down to just the United States. And if you were uh, just going to face from the rescuing those who are vulnerable and in danger, say, mm -hmm. in any large city. Like we, we want to help those, they're, in, they're vulnerable, that uh, foster kid that now is out of the house at 14 or 15, they're on the street, all they have to put food in their belly is a miniskirt. And then, but, you know, once again, the, the, in, the incentive to survive, um, but the trafficking is something that is, enslavement happens. Right. I mean, we, we understand the sexual exploitation that is volunteer through survival. You know what I mean? That, that they're somehow they're just trying to uh, get through this day. Mm -hmm. But how do, how does it get to the place? How how would they, they some someone just snatch a kid off the street in America and say, exploit them to Saudi Arabia or how, how's that work? I mean, it seems to me, I mean, you might see a movie about it, but honestly, right. you, you know, real stories. And so we, we just, I'm just, uh, want to know if you, if you could lift up the, you know, the rug and we could yes. see underneath it, what's it look like? Absolutely. I mean, um, those things do happen. You know, we've all seen the Taken movies, mm -hmm. right? And we watch some of and, and read about some of these major stings. But the majority of trafficking doesn't really look like that. That's um, what it's we not somebody in a van stealing kids and right. tying them up and, yeah. you know, dropping them off at an, off a dusty road somewhere. Um, you know, we really have to expand our perception about what is actually happening. Okay. Um, and trafficking as a whole is exploiting a vulnerability and People and children can be exploited in many, many ways that we probably haven't even taken the time to think of. Um, and so with children, um, we wonder, you know, how they get to this this place of, of being vulnerable enough to be um, exploited in this way. And we know that a lot of these children um, are trafficked by their own family members, people that they know, you know, community members, um, people that they've had relationships with who are abusing those relationships. Um, and because this is a, 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 an industry that is generating money for people, there is an incentive other than just the sexualization of a child and the, um, you know, the buyer getting that value 
you know, so disgusting to say, but you have to think of it in terms of a business to understand yeah. how the trafficker operates. Okay. So, yeah, part of what I want people to understand is, is the mind of a trafficker. You know, at the very root of what they're doing and how they got into that work is trauma. Um, but you look at, you know, what, what they're trying to make money and who are they going after? They're going after the most vulnerable kids. So that's why we're seeing so many kids in our foster care system, because those are the kids who don't have um, present parents um, or might be, you know, neglected. They're the ones, they will take the time, the traffickers, to watch at the end of the day at school who's left behind, who isn't getting picked up. Um, they'll literally wait out of uh, courts to see, you know, who, who gets left there. You know, if they're waiting for their um, child advocate to come bring them, you know, they, they will pick them up. They know who these kids are. They know their vulnerabilities and they exploit because, quite frankly, these kids have already been groomed to be debased and exploited. And, and that's the sick, sad reality. But the more we understand it and lean into that uncomfortable aspect of that truth, the more we know how to break it down. You have to understand how the system operates to be able to break it down. And so many parents and people I talk to, um, you know, they say, like, I just can't wrap my head around it. I don't understand how anybody could do that to a child. And, and my message is I want you to understand. I want you to yeah. look at it in its face because if you understand, then you can do something about it. And part of that is a big elephant in the room is pornography because porn is driving the demand for people to act out and buy children. They don't just wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to go buy some kids. You know, no, it's a systemic, you know, desensitization path of, of, of the porn that's available. And um, our major, you know, one of the biggest porn websites is Pornhub and we call it Trafficking Hub because they're trafficking children and women on there. Um, they do not verify age or consent. So not only can children access it um, and sell themselves on it or upload their own content, but they can be, you know, uh, being forced or coerced by somebody else, a third party. And that upload that upload comes up. And, you know, we have companies, corporations getting tax breaks, monetizing the, the sexual exploitation and trafficking of children. This is happening in the United States. So it's really important. You know, we, we look at everything happening in the world, but we need to address our own home first, what's happening in our own backyard. And we have over 20,000 women and children. And again, that figure changes um, being trafficked over our border. So having something like open borders, where children, it's an open pipeline of trafficking. It's like laying down a, a welcome mat. Um, so any, any, anything that we do to legitimize or normalize this, this exchange that goes on, this transactional, uh, really gross behavior uh, is really damaging to victims. So that's, those are the things that we have to, to address and be involved in and, you know, saying, you know, I'm not going to support Netflix. I'm not going to mindlessly consume their entertainment while they're doing it on the backs of children. Um, things like that, or, you know, when pro sex work agendas and movements come into our schools via Planned Parenthood, it's pushing back against this and saying, I won't accept this. This is not uh, scientifically sound. It is not accurate. It is not addressing the harms of pornography. Um, I won't accept this. This is not medically accurate and safe. So things like that, that, that are they're not as uh, glamorous, you know, to say I'm doing anti-trafficking activism and doing these things, but they're so powerful um, because it, it all participates in this, this demand. If there's no demand, then it's just these anomaly cases that we're going to hear about that are awful, but it's not a system any longer. It's not a thriving business. We have to break down that business aspect. 
Uh, Landon, is there any particular signs that you've been trained in as you uh, are putting all of your efforts and work into this, uh, that if we ran across uh, somebody that was being, you know, a, a sexual uh, trafficking uh, victim, th is there a mm -hmm. sign that we could spot that you could uh, share with us so that all of our listeners could be on the lookout also? And then not only that, what would be the next step to actually help them? Absolutely. So signs, I mean, there's a lot of great resources on Exodus Cry um, and all around. And basically what you're looking for is vulnerability because um, there are signs like bruises, um, lack of personal belongings, um, inability to look in the eye, um, fearfulness or signs of their being controlled, their movements being controlled. Maybe they don't have a cell phone or purse with them. There's signs and all of that um, is good education that, that I encourage people to do. But um, one of the things that I try to speak on is stuff that isn't so overt and isn't widely available, but is important. And, and that is looking for vulnerabilities in people. Um, you know, a, a kid who doesn't have present parents, being involved, being uh, an advocate, um, being involved in um, a, a girls and boys club or something where you can be um, a mentor, um, that can make the difference because these, the exploitation, the vulnerability is, is what we're looking for um, because it's the vulnerable kids that are being exploited. They're, that's the market. That's what the these traffickers and, and abusers are looking at. They're looking for the kid who doesn't have a mom that is paying attention. They're looking for the, the, the kid whose dad is so busy watching sports and working and is tuned out and not paying attention to what their kid is doing online. A lot of these children are being groomed online. And these traffickers will take months, weeks, years, whatever it takes to earn the trust of children and young women. And a lot of what happens sometimes is like catfishing type scenarios. So you'll have a young, good looking um, guy be posing online in a chat room or find some personal aspect about a girl and they'll reach out to them and they won't, they're not coming out as a predator. They're coming out very subtly and they'll, they'll massage this relationship for months, again, years in some cases, until they've earned that person's trust. And they're looking again for the vulnerable ones, the ones that don't have a sense of self-worth. Um, something that has really stuck in my mind that this one story that I heard from a trafficker, okay? He said that he went to the mall to look for victims uh, that he could you know, recruit. And he would go up to girls and he would look at them and say, wow, you're so beautiful. Look at you. And the girls that would say, thank you, and look them in the eye, he would know that that wasn't the girl for them. He knew that that woman already, or a young lady already had a sense of self-worth. And that would be too much work involved to try to, you know, groom that person. So it was on to the next. And he would go to the next girl. And the next girl, he'd say, wow, you look beautiful. Who are you? You know, what are you doing all by yourself? So gorgeous. And if she looked down... And he knew that's my girl. So wow. instilling a sense of confidence, sorry, um, instilling a sense of confidence uh, and, and being a conscious parent involved in our kids' lives is anti-trafficking activism. Mm -hmm. yeah. Protecting our kids. I agree 100%. And whenever you think about your own children, of course, all of us as parents would do anything we could to protect our kids and to train them and prepare them for really all the dangers out there. And one of the things on growing up, 
your show that you mentioned is one of the greatest tools that we can uh, have in our toolbox is being a, a, an active listener. And so, like, when we were raising our kids because of me being sexually abused and also being date-raped, uh, of course, you know, having that experience and never wanting that to ever happen to our kids, knowing that I was actually sexually abused by my uncle, somebody that my family trusted. I was actually date raped by a school friend that my family trusted. And so we all know that whenever our kids are in the uh, presence of others, whether we trust them of course, you're never going to put your kids in, uh, into somebody's care that you don't trust. But like you said, sometimes there can be this dark side that we don't, we're not aware of. And so for us, we would always, when, when our kids would hang out with other people, whether it was a friend, a grandma, a grandpa, even if we trusted them, we always had this line of communication. And then we would want to do exactly what you recommended on growing up, and that is being an active listener. And so we would always ask two questions to our children when they would come back with us. And that is, the first one is, share with us one thing that you really enjoyed about your time with that person. So they would share all the fun stuff, whatever. The second question that they always knew would be coming is, share with us one thing that made you feel uncomfortable about being with that person. Now, we've never had them share with us any type of trauma, but, you know, it was pretty basic childhood stuff. Like, well, when we were there, they served the, the, the most terrible, you know, uh, cheesecake or the most terrible, you know, like just really simple things. And we were like, okay, that's good. But we wanted to always keep this line of communication and be a good listener. And so for you, Landon, can you share some nuggets with us and all of the people listening? What do you do to protect your kids to be an activist, to set the course for protection? Right. Absolutely. Um, the biggest thing that I tell my kids um, is the world tells us we have, you know, how many senses? Five, five senses, right? Mm -hmm. That's not true. Um, God gives us another sense, and that's that intuition, that inner GPS, um, our direct line to God. Mm -hmm. And um, our inner knowing, our innate morality is there. Mm -hmm. And kids know they have it until it's, um, you know, absolved by society and, and just not nurtured in that way. So I always remind them that inside, anytime that, that alert system goes off, that something's not right, mm -hmm. you know, you, you can call me and I, I, I always have an exit pathway for them, you know, of, of a recourse they can take, call me, I'll come pick you up. Mm -hmm. You can use this word, um, you know, and, and mom will make up a story of why I have to come get you. Um, but you listen to that and it will never steer you wrong. Um, and you don't have to question it. You know, if something's making you uncomfortable or somebody touches you in a wrong way or um, innately, you just know off of somebody's energy. Right. We've all been around somebody where we knew there was some darkness around them. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong. But you can't say, Mommy, um, I don't I don't like this person. I don't want to be around this person because they might not have done anything wrong. And then the mom goes, well, he's nice. He's your he's your uncle. He's this. You know, how could you? He got you this beautiful teddy bear for Christmas. Are you ungrateful? You know, so that's why it's important to, to put that in our kids, to let them know that that's there for them, because sometimes we'll let them down as a parent. Sometimes we'll forget that that one Internet block that could have protected them from something. We're, again, we're not perfect. We can't be and do everything for them to protect them from the evil in this world. So it's so important that they know that they have that inside them 
that in intuition to know when something doesn't feel right, you listen and that we will support you in that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. And we had a code word, even if it was friends, if that wanted to go sideways when your kids are, they have car keys. And for us, because of where we grew up, uh, they could be driving at the age of 15. So they had car keys, they had a cell phone and they had friends and they're away from home. And uh, for our daughter, obviously things could go bad in that way. Um, you uh, listed a whole long line of things to unpack in, in your, your, your uh, talk because I, I feel like, it, and they're also important, but just touching on this one, we, we had a simple code thing for our kids that if they, they start feeling uncomfortable in their situation or maybe they came with a friend and they don't have a car to just lead themselves, just to call on the cell phone, and this was our code, you, you get off the phone and you'll, you'll tell me, hey, I want you to pick me up. And uh, when you get off the phone, just tell your friend, something's come up with our family and my dad wants me to, he's going to come and get me and I have to go home right now. And it always put it on me because they're, you know, it's a social peer pressure and, but if they could blame dad, um, it, it's right. pre pretty easy. And um, just being able to be rescued from that. But I think what you shared uh, also is that when you're, when you grow up with a sense of love and acceptance and security that uh, that in itself has already created a barrier between just coming under somebody else's control because you're getting a sense of your own identity in a healthy way. Um, whereas uh, victims and people that are abused from the time they're young, they don't have that sense. It's always somebody's controlling me. I have to do this to please them. And uh, so the the number one thing just processing all the information you gave us, the number one thing is, is being strong in your family and listening to your kids and really being engaged with them. And I think the big mistake in our culture of quote, the American dream is if my kids have a roof over their head, they have clothes on their back, food in the cupboard, and they can go to school. Uh, that's parenting. But Absolutely. That, those are the basic needs, but it has nothing to do with relationship, uh, with acceptance, mm -hmm. with love, investment, time, energy, and well, we, you know, people say we spend quality time with our kids. Well, quality time is quantity. You just got to spend mm -hmm. a lot of time with them so that if something changes in their behavior, you right. can, you, you immediately are tuning in like, Hey, what's up? What, you know? Right. Uh, and so a, a strong family would be the first deterrent. Wouldn't you agree? Lennon? Absolutely. Um, and, and you brought up a, a good point. Um, Tammy, when you were mentioning the signs, one thing that just popped in my head is um, a lot of the time children will show us signs or, you know, mm -hmm. if, if something is, is wrong um, and it comes out in behavior mm -hmm. and um, and it's not saying that it's OK for our kids to act up or be, you know, do do wrong things. Mm -hmm. But the first line of defense is to understand why this change in behavior. Did mm -hmm. something happen that's being communicated through the behavior that I need to get to the bottom of? Mm -hmm. um, or are, are we just going to uh, punish? Because when we just bypass that process and go straight to punishing or consequence, mm -hmm. we are just putting a Band-Aid over a very deep wound that's going to surface and, and fester and get infected and cause big problems later. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very important to be attuned to our children and, and understand that if something is out of character for them, what is behind that? Something happened, something changed for them to be acting that way. Mm -hmm. um, and that's so important. 
Yeah. It's really important because, you know, for me, uh, my uncle actually threatened my mom and dad's life if I ever spoke a word about what he was doing to me. So for me, not only was I being sexually abused, but then I had this heavy burden on me that if I ever said anything, that my mom and dad's life would be at jeopardy. And so the thought of my mom and dad dying because I opened my mouth. And so it is really important to see the signs. It's really important to be aware that... Um, and to have that line of communication, to be a good listener, and to continue on in that communication that you can talk about anything, anything at all that you want to talk about, that everything is on the table. Any, everything and anything is on the table. And to just have that environment. And, you know, it's like as parents, we have to cultivate that environment. It's not our children's responsibility to cultivate that right. environment. It's ours. 100%. We are the leaders in the home. We are the ones that need to cultivate that. And so that's really critical. Just like you said, if there's a sign, like for me, I was, I was acti acting out in different ways. You know, I would actually bite myself. I would bite my dresser. I was, my, they thought I was mentally retarded in second grade. There was all these signs. But back in the day, you just don't know. We have so much more information, so much more knowledge, so many more people speaking out like you and being a voice. And so really, we can come alongside our kids and we can protect them the best that we possibly can. And, and things can creep in and our kids can be affected by all kinds of things and cultures and, and stuff. But I just think that we have to be purposeful and keeping that line of communication open with our children. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. The behavior, too. A lot of times we fall in the trap of trying to control the behavior of the child. Mm -hmm. And if we meet the unmet need or figure out what is driving the behavior, mm -hmm. then the behavior ends up, you know, in, indirectly being resolved. Right. So we don't actually have to control behavior. Um, if the environment is healthy and we're addressing things that come up, mm -hmm. then the behavior should reflect that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that's so important. I remember being... Uh, coming to one of my parents with a, a, a abuse type of situation. Um, and my behavior was disrespectful and angry because I didn't know how to articulate that mm -hmm. at such a young age. And mm -hmm. I ended up getting a big spanking. Mm -hmm. So that's not helpful. No. That's that just further compounds the shame and guilt and fear that a child already has and isn't capable of articulating. We have to be leaders and understand and look beneath the behavior mm -hmm. and not just address the behavior, the head of the snake. Right. There, there's so much more to it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important that when our kids are having a bad day or a sad day to allow them to be sad and to find out, well, why are you sad? And, and you know, these are things that um, we can all encourage each other as parents and grow in and just say, you know, why are you sad? Let's talk about that. Instead of just pushing it away and say, you should be happy. You should be happy all the time. And what's your problem? You know, you're, you're right. interfering in my happiness. It's like, no, if a child is sad, actually validate their sadness. Mm -hmm. Let them right. speak out about what the sadness is. And if they're happy, validate the happiness mm -hmm. side of things mm -hmm. too. And I think that that is really critical. So our kids, they're not shamed when they're having a sad moment and they're mm -hmm. not elevated and feel more loved if they're happy all the time. You know, it just, because right. it's an ebb and flow of being a human. We Absolutely. have sad days and bad days and depressed days and, mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of things. Yeah. That's part of being a human. Mm -hmm. Right. It's emotional intelligence that we're trying to cultivate. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a little bit of a disconnect with some uh, parents that I've talked to is they think that um, you know, 
cultivating that emotional intelligence is coddling, you know, and it's not. There's a big difference, right? Mm-hmm. Coddling is just um, being subservient to those emotions, mm-hmm. not allowing those emotions to be mm-hmm. uh, present with them and, mm-hmm. and figure out what's going on, what's behind them, and how, how can we fix it or how can we let this pass mm-hmm. and I'm still loving you unconditionally versus coddling and saying it's okay to be disrespectful, it's okay to be angry and throw things because you're upset. Mm-hmm big difference so you know there's i just noticed that's kind of a polarizing thing with parenting and i don't know if you mm-hmm. notice that but it's like if you're mm-hmm. if you're not just controlling the kid's behavior then somehow you're completely you know pacifying it and mm-hmm. you're um just coddling and there's some really healthy balance and somewhere in the middle yeah i agree 100 percent. well i really think a lot of us adults and you have to face it in yourself that you're we're just not very emotionally mature and uh you know, for me, because of the journey I had to come through, I had to really grow. There are things I was really good at, it, and I just wanted to focus on them, them and leave this uh, because the emotional area of my life as an adult, even raising kids, uh, I was uncomfortable going into the emotional place. But I had really had to learn through the journey with helping Tammy mm-hmm. as she recovered from and experienced being healed and set free from her abuse and then it really opened me up to processing life with my kids as they were going through things and those struggles but i think another thing just to speak to the issue we're running out of time but that when children do come to you because we're talking about the first because uh, uh, the problem's so huge i feel like for me i'm so practical let's start where we can <laughs> within the home and uh uh and then mo- work out from that place uh that when a child does express like you tried to and the way it went down because you don't know how to express it. So the child's angry or whatever. And, and we come in our story for Tammy. Uh, she had uh, her uncle that abused her and he, he had five children and he also abused them. And the day that the circumstances finally came out to where we could uh, press charges against him, which was our goal because his wife had a daycare in her house. So he was abusing all the children for, oh my for, for years and years. And so we were looking for the, we were praying, Lord, we got to rescue these kids. And so it was our own little human trafficking uh, microcosm that we had. To, so as we prayed through it, we finally got one of the cousins that was still within the statute of limitations. And, uh, but the day that we had her uh, uncle arrested, her, her cousin, Nikki, who was 16, popular girl in school, cheerleader. She came home and when she heard her dad was arrested for sexual uh, child abuse, she looked at her mother and she said, mom, it's all true. It's all true. And her mother uh, told her what a lying so-and-so she was. And Nikki went upstairs and she hung herself on her closet door. Oh my gosh. And so... Then over the, in the next few years, the next decade, really, uh, the other cousin, Steve, he, from the trauma of abuse, he killed himself. And then Tim killed himself. So out of five children, Tammy's cousins, five of them, three of them took their own lives. And, uh, but I think that when that lifeline, when a child, it's so hard, like in Tammy's case, The threat was, if you ever tell anybody, I will come in the night and I will kill your parents. And when you tell that to a little seven-year-old, I mean, it's overwhelming. And um, so 
if your kids show signs, investigate, but you have to be emotionally intelligent and, and grow in that with your kids. And you have to be open to work through things and be able to go to dark places so that you can rescue before it gets darker. Because you think, well, if I just ignore this, it's gonna go away. No, it's just gonna exacerbate it because things right. grow in the dark. They grow That's in the, right. they, they don't shrink in the dark, they grow in the dark. And so um, it's just a powerful thing that you're involved with. Thank you so much for your uh, time. And we're, we're out of time, but we, we've had so much time, like the time just went, poof, it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm happy to come back anytime. Good. It's always such a blessing uh, to spend time with you, Landon, and I just admire you. I admire your work. I admire that you are a mom that's present and a wife that desires yeah. to love and uh, be alongside your husband as a helpmate. And you are a voice in this nation. You are yeah. a, a leading voice, and we are just so excited. So anybody that's out there, please look into Landon's music. Mm -hmm. um, there's She puts... Parts of her, or maybe it's all of it, I don't, or is it all of your cells? All of it. All of it. So the whole entire thing goes toward sexual human trafficking. And so you can be a part of that. It's just a simple, like, just grab the music and instantly you have possibly reached in and rescued a child or you are helping them get through the trauma of what they have faced. And it's a real thing, guys. And we can all be a part of it. And so please support her and her efforts. She's an amazing, amazing woman. And it's just, it's been such an honor. Thank you so much for being with us, Landon. Thank Amen. you. I'm, I'm honored to have this platform um, on your incredible show. And thank you so much for um, letting my voice be heard. I appreciate it so much. Mm -hmm. Thanks for being on. We're going to pray for you, Landon, and then let you go. Thank you. Father, thank you for Landon and her work. And Lord, we, you said that you were looking for someone to stand in the gap. And I thank you that you found someone to stand in the gap on behalf of those who are vulnerable, Lord, in our world with human trafficking. So we pray that you would strengthen Landon and Robbie in their efforts. And we pray that you would give them opportunities and just expand uh, their platform to be that voice and to be that influence in this dark world to bring the beautiful light of your love and your hope through being rescued, Lord, and have you transform and restore our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God Amen. bless you, Landon. Thank God you. God bless you. Thank you. You too, guys. Bye. Thank you. All hey, right. honey, would you share the blessing with our viewers and uh, just lay it on them? I would love to send everybody out that's watching with number 62426. Read it with me and just uh, think about this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Well, that wraps up Fireside Chat for tonight. Uh, my uh, precious host, really fun to have the girl with me. This, uh, this sweet girl. So next time, you guys, God bless you.